The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 1101 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. The Rebel Podcast. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome to another episode of the Rebels Podcast. I'm not Pastor Nate. I'm not even Pastor Chris. I'm Dave the Sound Guy at those virtual knobs and dials. It's summer holiday time here at the Rebel Podcast, and the guys are not in the studio. So today we are going way back 90 episodes and have a second look at a topic that is still as current today as it was back in January 2019. It's maybe even more controversial now than it was then. Evangelical feminism, gender roles, and traditional marriage. Remember, you can catch this and many other great podcasts at the Fight, Laugh, East Network. Get the Fight, Laugh, East app for your phone today. So here are pastors Nate and Chris from three and a half years ago. All right, we're back after break, and we are going to talk about gender roles. Uh, we're going to talk about traditional marriage, and we're going to talk about uh, LGBT stuff. Uh, so the, if you've been with the Rebels for any given time, uh, you know that we talk about this a lot because the whole point of this podcast is to equip Christians to engage culture with a biblical worldview. And and you've heard us say this many times. We think that this this is is kind of the modern battle um, for Christians. And so no wonder the church has gotten soft on it because this makes us unpopular, right? This is, this is the thing that makes the world hate us. And we shouldn't be surprised that the world hates us because Jesus said it hated him first. Jesus says, woe to you when all men think well of you. So we ought to be expected to be hated by our culture, by, by God hating culture, if we love God. Um, but this really is the battle line. And so you see a lot of churches who are getting soft on the issue. Uh, we've done rebel news items where the uh, Presbyterian Church of Canada issued a public apology uh, for all of the ways that they've uh, suggested to gay individuals that homosexuality is outside of God's plan for um, romance and, and uh, marriage. Uh, and so, you know, certainly in Canada, this 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 is a battle that we seem to have lost, but there are still uh, faithful Christians trying to fight this battle. So we want to encourage you to continue fighting this battle. Um, and I think it all starts with, and this is why we kind of lump these things together. It starts with a, a, a very lo- a loss of the unique way in which God created men and women. It starts because we believe that equality has something to do with the value of our roles. And so one of the reasons that Christians want to blur the lines between uh, gender roles is because they think that we, we live in a culture where our value is so tied to our roles, right? Think about it. The, the, the people who go to school the longest have to have initials in their names and you can't call them Mr. So-and-so it's Dr. So-and-so it's, it's uh, professor. So-and-so, and there's even a lot of pastors who say, Oh, I'm Reverend. So-and-so and, and, 
Lord knows if they're a doctor reverend, <laughs> that's on a sign somewhere, right? We live in a society where um, people's value is so tied to their roles. And we look up to police officers and educators and firefighters and, and doctors and, and certain people because your worth is measured by your role. But that's not the biblical framework. The, the biblical framework says that we are valued and we are we find value and worth because we are created in the image of God. That's where our base equality comes from. And so the Bible speaks of um, not equality without distinction, but equality with distinction. That there are fundamental differences between men and women, between our roles, our functions, and the fact that one of us menstruate and the other don't, right? Like, but, but we live in a culture where we try to blur all that, that and we say it's unfair for one gender to get something that the other gender doesn't. And so we have to uh, equality without distinction. And the Bible actually uh, calls us to function very, very differently. Two men, he's given the, the role of leadership, of assertiveness, of uh, protection and provision, and to women, he's given the gifts of, of nurture. He's created them as helpmates. He's given the management of the home. He's given them all kinds of different things. But that alone is a controversial statement in our culture. To say that, that men's primary function is to provide for and protect the family, and a woman's primary function is to nurture and to care for the children. That's controversial in our culture. And unfortunately, it's even controversial in a lot of our churches. Yeah, and I think, the, I think the reason is because we talked about this last week. We talked about the fact that a lot of our pastors have shied away from preaching just truth all the time. They preach kind of what they feel like topical um, preaching. So what ends up happening is that social values, so things like feminism, yep. basically, is, is pervaded into the church because pastors aren't teaching complementarian theology from the pulpit. We're not getting good examples of that in our churches. So what ends up happening is, well, that void gets filled by what the world says about, about men and women. And what ends up happening is you get the feminist movement has just successfully basically influenced many women to abandon the divinely ordained roles, basically. Right. I don't know a better way to say, <laughs> say that. And so what ends up happening is like, the idea of men and women's roles get very much tied to society things where I don't think there would be a Christian pastor who would say women shouldn't vote. We don't have anybody who would say women shouldn't, you know, become members in our churches, shouldn't have a say in, on like, in terms of the, um, membership of the church membership roster or anything like that in our churches. But we do draw the line when, where the Bible draws the line right. in leadership in eldership and in teaching and things like that, where the Bible clearly does have guidelines for that. And that, that rankles with a lot of people, men and women, both because men, because we, we've abdicated our, our role of as being the leaders. And then it also rankles because basically we've had women who have been trained their entire lives to say that they can do everything equally, if not better than a man anyway. So why do we need men in the first place? There's, I have a friend who goes to school for women's studies. And the, her whole program in university is just teaching her how much better she is as a woman than a man. That's how she describes it to me. And I was like, okay. And then she's like, basically they have, they have courses where all it is is describing like, well, you can do, you can be a police officer better than a man because of this, this, and this. And she's like, well, if a man did the same thing, it'd be ridiculous. And the, my only point is to that is that we live in a culture that has been systematically training women against what the Bible says in terms of the, the uh, roles that have been giving out. 
So when we say, when we use terms like complementarianism, let's just stop for a moment to define what we mean by that. Complementarianism would be in contrast to egalitarianism, and I've, I've, I've kind of defined them without saying that I was defining them, but egalitarianism is the view that men and women are created equal and without distinction, that there are no roles or functions that a man has that a woman can't also fill. Um, whereas a, a complementarianism is the teaching that masculinity and femininity or, are ordained by God and that men and women, though created equal, are created to complement or complete one another. They have differing roles that when they come together are uniquely gifted to be strong and weak in, in different points. And you see this, I mean, right from the very, very beginning. I mean, you don't have to, in terms of just providing a biblical basis for this, you don't have to go much further than uh, Genesis when God's creating them male and female, right? And he creates them and he talks about, um, so in, in Genesis chapter two, it says, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. And even that language there, if you go into the original Hebrew, helper fit for him is, is literally like a helper who compliments him, a, a helper who um, is soft where he's hard, a, 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 a person who is strong where he's weak and weak where he's strong, like somebody who fits together with him. And so when he looks at Eve and he says, flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone, Adam is recognizing his counterpart in another, right? He's recognizing that she's given to him as a helper for him. And that's the language in Genesis 2. You can't get around the language that's, that's used. God gives his command to Adam and the responsibility to convey that commandment to Eve. When Eve uh, eats of the fruit first, God still goes to Adam first. Right. And, and blames Adam first. And when Adam tries to pass the blame and say, hey, it's the woman that you gave me. Um, God doesn't let him get away with that. He curses Adam for his sin of omission, his sin of not uh, leading his wife, protecting his wife and providing for his wife in the garden. So you don't have to go much further than Genesis. But I mean, there's all kinds of, of passages that we can read. Right. Ephesians, uh, Ephesians 5 is the famous verse. Wives, submit to your husbands in all things as to the Lord. Right. And talking about how the, the husband is the head of uh, the wife, just as Christ is the head of the church. You think about 1 Timothy 2, where it says, Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. So rooted in the creation narrative, Paul is, is giving Timothy instruction on how things should be ordered in a church. He goes on to talk about the qualifications for elder, overseer, pastor, all the same word in the New Testament, that they ought to be the husband of one wife, that there's um, a, a reservation for men in the role of pastors. And so you can go through and, and we could list all of the various uh, passages. You think of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, it talks about, so the, uh, the head of every woman is her husband. Um, and uh, you think about Titus 2, it talks about um, how uh, God has given uh, older women in the church to teach the younger women, not to teach the church, not to teach them doctrine, but again, to teach the younger women. So there's all kinds of these verses, and we can, we can talk about all of the restrictive verses, um, but I, I say that to say this isn't just a one thing one sort of verse that we're pulling and creating a, a theology out of. This is rooted in the creation narrative. Whenever Paul teaches on the restrictions he places on women within the family and within the church, he roots it to the creation narrative. So it's all tied together there. And what we failed to do as, as pastors is we failed to trust God's word 
and we, we uh, look at women who are gifted communicators, gifted teachers, and, and we look at them and we say, you know, it's just not fair that they can't use those gifts when the reality is, is God has given those, them those gifts, but they, he's given them those gifts as well as his commands for how families and churches ought to function. And so those gifts ought to be used within his confines. So that's what complementarian and egalitarianism kind of are. Is there anything you want to kind of add on to that? Yeah, I would basically say the, I, I like the way you put that last part is that like, but uh, I think the, the biggest problem is that we naturally assume that because there's differences that one or the other is lesser. And right. I, like, That's right. I think, the, I think the thing that gets lost when people are arguing about complementarian or versus egalitarianism or men and women in the church is the idea of equal value, different roles. And so like, but like we need to remember that both thing, both pieces have value. When you look at a marriage, you use the analogy of a, of a marriage. You say, well, the, a good marriage, they complement each other. And I think that's, I think that's a really good picture because We've all seen a marriage of two people who are exactly the same and it never works. And it's like, you're on the surface, it just, you just look at me like, that's not healthy. Yeah. But when you see a marriage and you see one where it's like, oh, well, they, they, they balance each other out. They round out each other. They make, they make each other whole almost. And it looks, it's a beautiful picture. That's what, it, that's what it is with men and women. That's what it was with Adam and Eve. The woman is to basically round off the man in, in, a, in, a, in a way by filling in a lot of the deficiencies men have. Absolutely. And men fill in all the deficiencies women have just because we're different. It doesn't inhibit us in either way from flourishing in our roles to the glory of God. It makes, it makes the picture perfect in, right. that, in that situation because we're both image bearers of, 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 of God. We're both created in his image we're just created differently. Yeah. In order to just kind of keep moving forward in this podcast, I, I just want to assume that knowledge, assume people know what complementarianism is and, and where it is. Um, and, and I want to talk about why it's so important that churches get this right. Okay. So first of all, I would recommend the book to you, Evangelical Feminism by Wayne Grudem. He wrote that book kind of as he saw the rise of feminism and the effects of feminism in the church. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the churches not getting the plain teaching of scripture right or finding ways around the plain teaching of scripture because of social pressures. And, uh, and that, that's what this whole little mini series is about. And so I, I, I want to talk about that and I can't recommend that book highly enough. Evangelical Feminism by Wayne Grudem. There's a few things that I think are absolutely at stake. And so I, first of all, let me just say plainly what, what we believe. We believe that the primary responsibility of men in the family relationship is to provide for the family, to be a protector of the family. You and I might disagree if whether or not that means that we have weapons in the home to protect our family, <laughs> but you're wrong about that, and that's okay. We can we can be uh, at us, yeah. Um, but uh, so men ought to provide for, protect, and spiritually lead. That means that he takes the initiative in terms of spiritual leadership within the home. Uh, it doesn't mean that every decision uh, get, has to have the man sign off on. It doesn't mean that he gets every decision. In fact, it's very interesting that in Ephesians 5, it says that the husband is the head of the wife, not the hus husband is the head of the home. And many Christians get that wrong. They talk about husbands being the head of the home. And I think the reason there's that distinction in Ephesians chapter 5 is because to everybody else, you, ought, you and your wife ought to look like one flesh. 
right? This is, this is about you two prayerfully, discerningly, through conversation, and even through debate at times, coming to a decision together. But what male leadership looks like, it's not just as Tim Keller says, tie-breaking authority, but it's about the husband bearing the brunt of the responsibility for the direction that the, the home is leading. And ultimately, it does mean if a, if a husband and wife can't come to a decision, that the husband takes the responsibility and leads his wife because that's what God has ordained and therefore that's what God will bless. Um, so we believe that that husband's primary job is spiritual leadership, protection, and provision. And we believe that the, the wife's primary responsibility is to help the husband to assist the husband in leadership of the home. That doesn't just mean doing the tasks that are delegated to her. That means continually referring her children to her husband's leadership. That means not undermining her husband in, in view of her friends or in view of her kids. That means affirming and submitting to her husband's authority. Her responsibility is also mainly in the area of raising the children, nurturing the family, and caring for managing the home. And I get that we sound uber traditional right now. We sound, we sound like Little House on the Prairie right now. But the reality is, is that that whole stereotype came out of a society that was far more biblical than it is now. We're not saying women can't work outside the home. We're not saying that there, there wouldn't be a season of time when a husband, I'm, I'm at home right now with my kids on Fridays. Uh, my wife works on Fridays and that happens to be my day off. I'm at home. I'm a, I'm a homemaker on Fridays. I do dinner. I fold laundry. I do all that stuff. And, and that's not being unbiblical because we very much have our various roles within the home. So it's, I, we're not saying that men and women divide the labor in such a way as to be a, a 1960s, you know, um, perfect family. What we're saying is that the Bible gives primary responsibility for different things within the home, spiritual leadership on one side, home management and child raising on the other, primary responsibility to the husband or to the wife. So that's what we would say. Um, do you want to comment on that before I get into the things that I think are at stake when we blur these lines? The reason that rankles against our, our, our minds when we hear that is because we picture the negative stereotype of this. We right. picture the yeah, idea where the right. woman stays at home all day doing all the work, doing everything yeah, at the house. high heels. And <laughs> exactly. Still looks great. Yeah. Um, and then the man comes home from a long day at the office, sits down on the couch, wife brings him dinner, wife brings him a beer, and he doesn't move for the rest of the day. And then we liken that because that's the bad picture and say that's what biblical leadership in the home looks like. And that's not right because not what biblical leadership is throughout all of scripture is servanthood. That's right. And which means like very clearly it says women are to respect the husband and men are to serve the wife. That's right. That doesn't mean we're supposed to just like be servants or anything like that, but it means we're to serve her. We're to yeah. treat her with respect like Christ treated the church. So it looks like coming home and still having the energy to treat her well, to take her out to dinner, to, you know, play with your kids, pull your share of the housework, even though you've been at work all day and she's likely been home with the kids, is to help her in that in that role because you're here to compliment her. That's right. You're here to balance her out, not for her to make your life easier. Yeah. Does it make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's like like newsflash, biblical leadership is servanthood. 
right? That's what Jesus says in Mark 10. He says, those who desire to be great among you must be your servants, right? It, and he says, the Gentiles, they lord it over you. In, in other words, they practice greatness and leadership by having others serve them. And so if, if in any role, whether it's your, your role as spiritual leader in the home, your, your role as a ministry leader, as a pastor, as a, as some, at work as some sort of leader, if your role is using other people to prop yourself up or using other people to serve you because of your role, you're doing leadership wrong. You're doing leadership unbiblically. So, so husband, spiritual leadership within the home means that you're the one. You're the one when, when uh, your kid gets up in the middle of the night with a nightmare and there's an opportunity for spiritual development there, that means that, that more often than not, you're the one getting up. You're the one praying with them. You're the one teaching them that, that Jesus can conquer their fear and Jesus can, can conquer whatever it is that they're um, scared of and, and that's causing them nightmares. That means, you know, all of these, these things, that, that's what leadership looks like. Leadership looks like you coming home and after you help put the kids to bed, letting your wife put her feet up and rubbing her feet and, and doing the dishes and doing those things. That's what it looks like because you're there to serve her because that's what spiritual leadership looks like. It looks like laying your life down for others. In fact, that's exactly what Ephesians 5 says. It says, love your wives as Christ loved the church and laid, and laid down his life for her. Like that's the point. Jesus died on the cross for you. The least you can do is sacrificially serve your wife because that's what it's supposed to be a picture of. Okay. So I want to get into what is at stake as feminism seeps into the church. All right. As, as these gender roles get abandoned, this is what's at stake. Number one, the authority of scripture is at stake, right? So the Bible clearly teaches that men and women are equal in value and dignity and have distinct and complementary roles in the home and in the church. If churches disregard those teachings, if they accommodate the culture, then the members of those churches and subsequent generations will be less likely to submit to God's word in other difficult matters as well. So in other words, the authority of scripture is at stake because the minute we're willing to compromise on this because of how it makes us feel, the more prone we are in subsequent generations to abandon God's word based on how we feel. So the first thing that's at stake is the authority of scripture. Second thing that's at stake is the actual health of the home. Right? If families don't structure their homes properly in disobedience to teachings like Ephesians 5 that we just talked about or 1 Peter 3 or Colossians 3, then they won't have the proper foundation from which to withstand the temptations of the devil and the various onslaughts of the world. This hinders the sanctification of married couples and also introduces confusion about basic parenting issues such as raising masculine sons and feminine daughters. So the minute you start to blur the lines in your home, the, the minute these lines start to get blurred in the church, and make no mistake, the churches that are in a state of confusion because they affirm male spiritual leadership in the home and don't affirm male-only pastoral leadership in the church are confusing their congregants. Because what does it look like for a man to exercise authority over his wife in all areas of their home and yet come and submit spiritually to a woman in the pulpit, right? I would just venture to say that there are women in the pulpits long before there are women in fighter jets, in roles of prime minister and premiers in our countries. There, there are women who are being unfaithful in their God-given roles in the pulpits long before they were in the homes and in the uh, cultures. So we've led the way into rebellion on this. The third thing that's at stake is the health of the church, just like the home, if the church disobeys the plain teachings of 1 Timothy 2, 
1 Corinthians 11, and disregards the structure that God put into place for the community of faith from the beginning, then the church will be weakened. If the church is weakened in its convictions, it will be less effective in accomplishing its mission. So, the authority of Scripture is at stake, the health of the home is at stake, the health of the church is at stake. I would also say that our worship is at stake. So increasingly, members of the evangelical community in the name of gender equality are advocating calling God mother as often as we call him father, right? We've heard about people who refer to God as gender neutral. There's even so many people who are trying to get Bible translations to become gender neutral, right? And we, we, we hear about these sorts of things. And so even so, if God has named himself and for us to make changes to his self-revelation only undermines the written word of God. And so any attempt that we do, and, and for, for the record, you might be going to a faithful church that isn't calling God the mother of all things living, and, and so you might look at that one and kind of shake your head or kind of, you know, kind of, pfft, you know, that's not us. But let me just say, do you think that many of the mainstream churches where you, that write your worship music, do you think that they're getting more conservative or more liberal? And I would say that most of them are getting more liberal. And so how long is it before many of the songs that we have to select from are actually using intentionally gender neutral pronouns for God? And, and we might just say, oh, I, I never sing a song that talked about God the mother. Yeah, that's fair. But what about the subtlety of um, certain Hillsong artists who have already come out and said that they write their songs trying not to use the word father? And so they'll intentionally use God instead of father, even if the passage that they're drawing from, the psalm that they're drawing from uses God the father, they won't insert father into the song because of that. So our worship is at stake there as well. And then the last thing is the advance of the gospel is at stake. Ephesians 5 calls husbands and wives to relate to one another as a picture of Christ in the church. In fact, Paul even says this mystery, and he's talking about husbands and wives coming together in a one flesh union. He says, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that this refers to Christ in the church. So our marriages, including the roles that the Bible defines within them, is a picture of the gospel. And the picture involves the humble, sacrificial leadership of the husband and the joyful, intelligent submission to that leadership by his wife. And the minute that is tampered with, the spread of the gospel is tampered with because the picture of the gospel that the church and families within the church are displaying to the world is compromised. So there's a lot at stake as evangelical feminism, as Wayne Grudem puts it, seeps its way into the church. And I think after all of that, do we even need to talk about gay mirage? Do we even need to talk about transgenderism and LGBT issues? Because all of those are just a byproduct of getting gender roles wrong in the first place. So why is it that, that men have gotten soft and malakoy? Go, go re-listen to our, our episode with Tim Bailey. Why is it? It's because we've neglected the very foundational way that God has created us and placed us within the church, within the culture, and within our families. We're not hard. We're not assertive. We're not the initiators that God called us to be. And because we've abdicated that role, we've gotten soft everywhere else. And that's led to the mainstreaming of homosexuality, transgenderism, and all that stuff. Let me ask you a question then, because I, I, think, I think you're spot on with everything you've said there. But I think there's a lot of men who will be listening to this podcast who go to churches who might affirm that stuff but not practice it. How do we fix it? As, as men in our churches, people who are leading ministries, who are in small yeah. groups, how do we change those things in our, in our church? Okay. 
number one, I mean, we have to model it as leaders, right? So soft is the pastor who preaches complementarianism from the pulpit and doesn't live complementarianism in his marriage, right? You know, we have to model it. Um, the second thing I think that we have to do is we have to, um, so we do need to model it. We do need to teach it, right? Don't like, this is why expository preaching is so important. Like what pastor in 2019 is going to say, Hey, let's go to first Timothy two and three and talk about how women ought to be quiet in church and what that means, <laughs> right? Like, so unless you're preaching expository sermons, picking books of the Bible and teaching through them front to back, you're not going to get to these hard passages because it's not what you're going to choose to preach on. So preach expository sermons and teach complementarianism as it arises in the text. That, model it, as I said. And then the other thing, so let me talk specifically to leaders, whether that's a pastor, a ministry leader, elders, whatever. Go after the men in your church. This is something that I've been very convicted of recently. If you just look at your church and you look at the willingness to serve the people who are there, who can be depended on for roles, chances are you have far more faithful, capable women than you do men. And the reason for that, I think, is because we've gone after whoever's easy, right? It's the women who are sitting in the pulpits and, and their men have abdicated their roles. This is a part of the curse, right? This is, this is actually what God said was going to happen as he was doling out the curses in Genesis chapter 3. He says that, you're, that the, the wife, your desire will be for your husband, for his role, but he will rule over you. And so he's, he's, he's reaffirming male leadership there, but he's saying that part of the, the curse here is that women are going to be pursuing your role. And so in the church, even in complementarian churches that would not put a woman on the elders board, the sin in women's hearts will have them aspire to greater leadership wherever they can get it. And so what we have is women who are aspiring. It's interesting when, when uh, Paul is talking about the office of elder and he says, he who seeks, he, 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 he who seeks the office of elder uh, seeks a noble calling, right? And what's interesting is that I have men in my church who are capable and qualified for eldership who say no when asked to serve on the elders board. And they say no because they're too busy, because they don't want to give another night out of the, the week. They don't want the responsibility. Like, what is that? Men were created to bear this kind of responsibility. And the Bible actually says we have to desire that. But men are soft and lazy, and so they don't aspire for this, and the women are more than willing to step in and do the work. And so we have a whole lot of churches that function off the volunteer willingness of women. And, and don't get me wrong, that is amazing that women have stepped up. Some of it, it comes from the sinful desires after the fall of, of aspiring to more prominent roles, but... There are a lot of churches and a lot of ministries that are functioning very, very well with a whole lot of women at the helm. My problem is, is that pastors are satisfied with that instead of doing the hard work of going after a man's heart. And let me just encourage pastors. You can have a congregation full of women and they'll tithe and they'll volunteer and, and you'll preach to them and they'll be encouraging and it'll be wonderful. But if you win a woman to the gospel and she's there and she's in your church, then you've won her. If you win a husband, you win the family. 
And more and more, I watch so many women who come to church on their own. And as soon as their kids become age where they can stay home with dad, they stay home with dad. And it's because their pastor hasn't done the hard work of going after the, the husband's heart. I say that to say um, that's the other reason it's happened, because pastors have been too lazy to go after the men. Well, your comments can be directed <laughs> to Rebel Alliance. <laughs> Just that was fantastic. We, we make the joke sometimes you get in pastor mode on the podcast <laughs> yeah, yeah. and you, you started preaching. You know, I just pulled up the pulpit, let you go. Um, that was fantastic. I think, I, think you, I think that's absolutely bang on. I think this is a crucial issue because yeah. this, is, this, is the one, this is the one topic where it, it's just so much, e- you, you said it's just so much easier if we just side with the world. Yep. It's so much easier if we just ignore Timothy. It's so much easier if we just ignore the Genesis account. If we just explain that away as poetry or, or symbolic. It's so much easier because, as you said, the hard work comes at the chasing after the husband yep. and, getting, and getting them to get biblical. It's easy when there's women who are just willing to do that. You know what I mean? I think I think that's spot on. I think that's fantastic. We're the rebels. Let's wrap it up. Hope you guys enjoyed the series. Be back with us next week. Love it. <laughs>